You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We're in the middle of a series that we've uh, referred to as Living Out Your Destiny. Uh, and I realize, you know, when we talk about that, for me, what always comes to mind is Star Wars. You know, the, you know Luke, you know, your destiny is to save the universe. And, and that's not what we're talking about uh, to that degree. We've re- looked at destiny. We've determined, uh, defined it this way. Destiny is God's unique and preferred plan for your life. It's God's unique. In other words, his plan for you is not the same plan for me. Each one of us are unique, and there's a... Uh, but we also discuss the fact that there, it's a preferred plan because there's things that can get in the way of that plan that if we're not careful can derail us from what God wants. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what some of those derailments might be. Uh, last week, looked at this idea of discouragement how sometimes discouragement can so overwhelm us that it causes us to lose focus on what it is we're actually supposed to be doing. And, and sometimes discouragement becomes a wall that keeps us from moving forward when actually it should just be a mo- little more than just a hurdle to get over. Clearly it's there and we can't, that's one of the things we discussed, we can't always control when we feel discouraged, but that it should not control how we live our life. We'll be looking at a few other things in the next uh, couple weeks. Today we're going to actually look at this idea of detours. When life circumstances get in the way. Have you ever had something happen in your life that you didn't see coming, but it just kind of like, where did that happen? And for the next season of your life, everything is about that. Well, we'll look at that because that's really what we're, what uh, can be a really big, big impediment to what God wants us. Now, the scripture I want to look at, we're going to uh, we'll start with Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 and 8. Let's read this together. It's only uh, two verses. Can we read this together out loud? But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph's destiny was... No, I'm sorry, that's not the Bible verse. (laughs) I was going to say, why is there another verse? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for, Lord, the story of Joseph that we're going to take a look at this morning. So much we can learn from him. So, Father, uh, help us to see and understand what you have for us this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Very few people in the Bible epitomize what this idea of destiny better than Joseph. What we just read is actually a statement at the very end of his life. Um, Towards the end when, when the whole plan has been revealed as to what's been going on. So for all the preceding chapters that we're reading about Joseph, it all culminates in this one verse. Actually, can I get, uh, Katie, can I get those verses back up again? If you remember the story here, Joseph, um, you know, he's, he's, um, he's now in Pharaoh's court. He's actually the second in the land. There's a famine. His brothers come from outside the country for food. They don't know who he is, because, and I'll get into all that in a little second. But uh, he realizes here that God sent me here ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, but God. That's a really profound statement. And that will become more evident here as we walk through this. 
it wasn't you who sent me here, it was God. So what's interesting is, again, Joseph, because of where he came from, what this idea of destiny is, is so incredibly strong. We first see Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. Um, that's when he first mentioned. And we learn that Joseph is actually the uh, great-grandson of Abraham. So we look at just the genealogy. So he's got roots there that are very significant. For someone who has such a profound impact uh, on life and who has such a great uh, impact on so many other people, his beginnings were very, well, they weren't even normal. They were kind of subnormal. He was the 12th of 13 kids. He had 11 brothers and one sister that are recorded in, in the Bible. So what does that tell you? If you're familiar with, with the biblical genealogy and family pecking orders and stuff, if you're, the, if you're the, the 12th of 13 kids, where do you rank in the level of importance? You're at the bottom. I mean, there, there is just very little, you have very little significance. He's a shepherd. Again, not very high powerful. Um, and the first thing it actually says about it, so we introduced him, and it says he's 17 years old, um, and we know that he has this about his family. And then it says that he brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. It's like, really? That's the first thing you're going to tell us about him is that he's a tattletale to his, uh, to his family. It also says that his father loved him the most. Because he was born at his father during his father's old age, his father actually showed favoritism to him, openly so. So, his, so we see that dynamic going on. But then it also talks about that he has two dreams. And in both dreams, they're really the same dream, two different manifestations. In both of them, his family are bowing down to him, that he's something special. So again, in this, contemporary, in this, this cultural climate, the 12th of 13 kids, he's a shepherd, and now he's telling his family members that you're all going to be bowing down to me someday. That doesn't win you brownie points with the family, does it? Um, this is not something they looked up to, and it created some issues with them. And those of you who are familiar with the story know that Joseph's dreams do, in fact, come true, that they do and eventually bow down to him. In fact, it's his ability to interpret and understand dreams that actually lead to his success. And Joseph ends up in, he, from, he's in Israel is where he grew up. He ends up in Egypt, and I'll, I'll tell you how he gets there in just a second. Um, but while he's in Egypt, Pharaoh has two different dreams, and no one can interpret them. Uh, he sends for Joseph, and Joseph comes and tells Pharaoh what the dreams are. And basically he says, you're going to have seven years of, of, of um, bumper crops, but then immediately after that, you're going to have seven years of very severe famine. In fact, they'll be so severe, it's going to wipe out all the surplus that you'd had from the previous years. And basically, he's saying, Joseph told Pharaoh, he said, God's giving you a heads up, and you need to prepare for that. Pharaoh's so very impressed that he says, well, who better to help us prepare than you? And so here's Joseph now. He's the second in command. He is over all of Pharaoh's palace. He in charge of all his household, the whole, all of Egypt. No one is greater than Joseph except for Pharaoh himself. So they do just that. They store, they gather, uh, Joseph, he buys all the surplus grains from the people and stores it up um, and for seven years. And then sure enough, seven years later, the famine hits. And it is bad. It's, it's very severe. And Joseph's family... 
actually the brothers come down to Egypt to get some food because they heard that there's food in Egypt. Let's go get some food to take it back to us, to our family uh, back up here in Israel. And as we just read in the verse here, everyone's saved. So Joseph's destiny was to save his family and all of Egypt and all that region actually from the destruction of famine so that God's promise to Abraham could be fulfilled. His journey was not easy and it was filled with unexpected detours and pitfalls along the way. Three of these pitfalls are worth mentioning here this morning. One is that this, this pitfall is this, this transition from preferred son to perilous pit. Genesis 34, or Genesis 37 says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him, Joseph, more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So we already know just from the beginning of the verses that, that the family dysfunction here was pretty significant. This was not a well-organized well family. This is not a family that, that treated one another well. Um, as parents, it's never good to show favoritism to kids. But how many of us grew up in families where we know that our parents had a favorite? Right? At least we think we do. It's, it's funny. You talk to the kids, even our kids, we talk, I said, so did you guys think this? And, well, of course. We thought you, it's like, wait, what? You know, so the parents and kids obviously see this differently, but this wasn't even a, ten, so, it, so kids will feel that even if parents don't overtly try it. Joseph's dad didn't even make an attempt to hide it. In fact, it says that he loved him so much, he gave him a coat of many colors. That's why Donny Osmond still has a career because of what happened there, the coat, uh, the coat of many colors. So it was very overt. It wasn't even attempted to hide what was happening and, and his preference for Joseph. Joseph's own words and behaviors, though, even made the matter worse, didn't they? His behavior was such that it's like, oh, really? You're going you're gonna to do that and say that? And... So it was very hard. Then one day, Joseph, or David's, uh, I'm sorry, then one day Joseph's father sends him to check on his brothers and flocks. So they're out in the fields, and his dad says, listen, go check on them, see, make sure everything's okay. And his bro- it says that the brothers see him off in the distance. So Joseph hasn't even arrived yet. They see him off in the distance, and they plan to kill him. Now think about that for a second. Your brother... You seem off a different, and you're going to kill him. Think about the, the emotional dysfunction that has to exist for that. To, and then they're going to hide it by just telling their father that a wild animal killed him. You know, they, don't, they won't find the body, so they'll never know. And can you imagine being so jealous of someone that you want to physically kill them? So instead, uh, one of them had better sense, and they decide instead of killing him, that they're going to sell him to a passing caravan of traders. So basically they sold him into slavery. They still told their dad that a wild animal killed him. They still had to account for the fact that he was missing. But they decided not to kill him because he was their flesh and blood. So that's really, it was the family bloodlines that actually saved him. Otherwise they would have killed him. But think about it. They sold their brother into slavery. Talk about family dysfunction. So at this point in the story, it would seem that to think that Joseph's dreams, you know, that every, one day everyone's going to be bowing down to me, we would come to the point that those just were dreams. They're not going to come to reality. But those of you who are familiar with the story know that the story doesn't end there. 
It actually gets worse. In Genesis, uh, we find that Joseph then is sold to um, Potiphar, who is uh, uh, one of Pharaoh's officials. In Genesis 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, was one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So from being the spoiled son in his family, Joseph now finds himself the slave of an Egyptian official. That's quite the fall from grace, if you will. So surprisingly, though, things actually begin to look better. Things actually turn, took a turn uh, and much better. The, the, we're told this about Joseph. It says that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all, all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So things are looking good. Right? I mean, he's still a slave. I mean, we, 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 he still has that reality. But he's got power. He's got some influence. He's living well. He's eating. He's, he's got all of his basic needs met. And things are looking up. And he's not just surviving. He's actually thriving in this environment. So being sold into slavery now appears to be little more than a hiccup along the way to his, probably his ultimate uh, destiny. Unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse. It leads to the third pitfall that Joseph faced, and that's from Potiphar's house to prison. So the Bible literally tells us Joseph was hot. The exact words are, he was well-built and handsome. Okay? So we learn also that Potiphar does not have a good marriage. His wife is immoral. And on multiple attempts, she tries to seduce him. He, reduce, he resists her temptation, and he, he appeals to Potiphar. Listen, I, 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 how can I do this to my master? Potiphar, this is not going to happen. This isn't right. But the, the Bible tells us that day after day, she came at him and tempted him and, and wanted to get him to um, succumb to her desires. And it says that Joseph even avoided being in the same room with her. So it wasn't that he just, you know, verbally told, he physically tried to remove himself from her. But because over time, though, she became angrier that he was rejecting her. And so she comes, she concocts this story about Joseph and lies about him. And she tells Potiphar, she says, this Hebrew slave, the one you brought to us, came after me and tried to use me for his plaything. So basically accuses him of, attempted, uh, of attempting to, to um, take advantage of her. So uh, it's interesting. Um, the, the verse, it, it wasn't just the fact that she accused him. Notice here she says, this is how your slave treated me. 
So this was actually some of the other translations say, the slave, the, the one that you brought to us. She's really making this personal. She's really putting this all on Potiphar as that it's his fault, just wanting to make him more angry, which in fact he was. So Potiphar becomes furious and then he, and um, later on we see that when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I just realized I'm reading from a different translation than what you're seeing on your screen. I apologize for that. Um, so now Joseph finds himself in prison. So think about that for a second. How low can one sink? He's not just a slave. He's a slave in prison. I mean, how? It doesn't get much lower than that. The contrast to the original dreams of his youth is very profound. A dream of life, a, a, a life that is meaningful and significant and possibly even one that has power and influence. And that's the dream. And now he finds himself a slave in prison. Where once there was a sense that life would matter, that there'd be some purpose and some significance, he now finds himself the lowest of the low. Clearly, Joseph's life was nowhere near where he thought it would be. You ever find yourself in a position like that? You wake up one day and you're like, how did I get here? How did this happen? Imagine Joseph had many days like that, waking up in prison. How? What? How? What, what happened? And the irony of all of this, though, for Joseph is that outside of him probably being immature, maybe a little arrogant, we, we, we see that. But outside of that, none of any of this was Joseph's fault. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything that warranted being sold into slavery. He didn't do anything to Potiphar's wife. None of these things he actually did, and yet he finds himself under these circumstances. So think about the pitfalls that he encountered along this way. Just the family dysfunction we've already talked about. We've already talked about the, you know, the favoritism, jealousy, the hatred that was there. There's another story in actually chapter 38, kind of in between some of the story and Joseph, where there's a kind of a weird account of one of Joseph's uncles and his daughter-in-law. And a whole kind of a goofy thing that's there. And, but it's the whole family was just kind of, just really dysfunctional. Here's the thing I think it's important for all of us to remember. None of us can control the family into which we were born. None of us have a choice in that matter. None of us, we're born into the family because that's the one we're born into. And some of us were born into some pretty messed up situations, weren't we? But we see in scripture that God never holds one's heritage against them. Never. In fact, it's almost just the opposite. Quite often we see more often than not that God uses the challenges of our upbringing to shape our life in a way that he can use for his purposes and glory in the future. No one is ever disqualified for God's use solely because of their family's upbringing. Don't let family dysfunction sabotage your destiny by allowing it to control you. Joseph also encountered the pitfall of sexual temptation. Now we can only speculate as to what would have happened had Joseph given in to uh, Potiphar's wife. 
Would he have been found out? What would that have looked like? We, we don't know. We can only speculate. Unfortunately, we have far too many examples of what can happen when someone does succumb to those temptations. Lives are wrecked. Families are destroyed. Sinful desire can weaken our resolve and wreck our destiny. Joseph also encountered the pitfall of abusive power. Again, I point out the irony here is that Joseph did everything right. And he still found himself at a disadvantage because of the willful, evil actions of Potiphar's wife. This painful, hurtful, unjust act did not become a defining moment in his life, however. Think about that. Here he is. He's a slave in prison because he was wrongly accused of something he didn't do. But this didn't become the defining moment in his life. Well, how do we know that? Because Joseph never spoke of it again. Never in all of his stories, in the accounts that we read of Joseph, he never speaks of this event. Have you ever met somebody who years and years and years later still point to a hurtful event as something that influences and shapes their thinking and behaviors? That event has significantly impacted them. Joseph never did that. Too often we let our painful hurts influence our present situation and define our future. Don't let a false accusation create doubt and rob you of your own destiny of hope. Even in prison, though, God had a purpose for Joseph. But while Joseph was there in prison, what's the next um, slide, next verse? I want to read from the, do you have uh, Genesis 39? Nope. Let me read this. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. So we know even while he was in this low place of lowest of the low, God was not done with Joseph. He didn't let the pain of being sold into slavery of his brothers, he didn't let the pain and hurt of the unjust accusation of Potiphar's wife, he didn't let those events define him. Even while he was a slave in prison, he had relational, um, what's the word, equity. He was able to build relationships. He had the personality such that He was entrusted with things. God was still able to use him to the point that the warden put everything in charge. So no matter where Joseph went, people just put him in charge of stuff because things went well. Things worked because he did that. You don't do that when you're carrying and you're letting the emotional baggage of past hurts define you. Joseph was able to continue to do what he did because God had called him, because he wasn't, he didn't allow those things to keep him back. And we know, if you're familiar with the story, that he gains favor with not just the warden, but all the other prisoners. And two of the other prisoners had dreams. There's uh, the, the former royal baker and the former royal cupbearer, the one who did the wine tasting, were both in prison. We don't know why they were there or how they got there, but they were there. They had dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. 
Uh, he says, the cupbearer, your life is about to come to an end. I'm sorry, the baker, your life is about to come to an end. The cupbearer, you're going to actually be restored to your position of prominence uh, back in the palace. And sure enough, both of those situations happen. Later on, sometime later, Pharaoh has his dreams and he goes to all the wise people, all the wise men, the magicians, everyone that could in- interpret a dream, no one could interpret his dreams. The cupbearer says, hey, wait a minute. I remember this guy back in my prison days. A guy named Joseph. You need to talk to Joseph. So they bring Joseph. And then we know the rest is history. Joseph interprets the dreams and things go from there. So as I conclude this morning, just some things I think we can learn from Joseph. So here, here's the thing. None of us, well... I, don't th- I think probably none of us have a future that looks anything like Joseph's. You know, I'd love to solve the Middle East peace crisis, but I don't think that's in my future. Um, but here's what I do know. Most of us, probably all of us, have a desire. Our, de- our desirable destiny may not be to solve all the world's problems or the major issues of life, but I think most of us would be very happy with a destiny that has some sense of stability, security, in some form of significance. That there's some sense of meaning and purpose. There's some way that we can influence others. I think for most of us, we just want our life to matter. So to get there, I think there's some things that Joseph talks about us. We may not have the ultimate reality that Joseph did, but I think there's things that we can learn that will help us get to the destiny that God would have for us. I think the first thing we can learn from is that we need to be consistent in character regardless of your circumstances. Doing so might be painful in the short term. It was for Joseph. When he was accused by Potiphar's wife, or when he was attempted to be seduced by Potiphar's wife, he stood for what was right. And he suffered for that, actually. So, I mean, again, you speculate, what would have happened if he had succumbed? We don't know, but... We do know for the fact that he wouldn't have been in prison to meet the cupbearer. Had he not been in prison to meet the cupbearer, he wouldn't have been promoted when Pharaoh had his dreams. So essentially, by holding true and doing what he knew was right, there was this, in essence, punishment going to prison, but that was all part of what God was doing to bring him to a different place that he needed. So telling the truth, acting with integrity, treating others well, we aren't always rewarded for good character. The payoff for these, more often than not, is not necessary today, it's in the future. We're building equity in the relationships around us. Second thing I think we can learn from Joseph is that we need to acknowledge our limitations and submit to God's power. <clears throat> I would suspect that at one time or another, all of us, all of us have found ourselves in situations or circumstances not of our choosing and not in our control. The story of Joseph gives us hope that our present situation is not our final destination. Another day is coming. Circumstances alone will not keep God from accomplishing his purposes in us. I think the third thing we can learn from Joseph is that we should never underestimate the power of forgiveness. 
as much as the story of Joseph is about God's use of circumstances to accomplish his greater purposes, it's also about the need to forgive others who have wronged us. For me, the significance of the story is not that, God, that Joseph was promoted to this position of power and influence in the face of incredibly adverse circumstances. For me, the significance of the story is that Joseph was able to forgive his brothers and restore his family because he did not let the pain of their actions cause him to become bitter and angry over what they had done. From Joseph, I think we can see that our, our response to those types of hurtful situations is to seek forgiveness, not revenge. Joseph, when he met with his brothers, was one of compassion, of forgiveness. He realized that, yes, they had mistreated him. Yes, things weren't right, and they shouldn't have done what they did. But in spite of it, God worked through that. And actually, in Joseph's own words, it says, God was behind all of this. That's a really tough place to get to sometimes, to see God's working in our lives, God's working in the circumstances when it looks so personal. When we know for a fact that what they did was intentional, what they did was meant to hurt us, to get from there to realize that, no, well, maybe God is working through that and God can use that. That's a huge, huge step of faith, of growth, of development, maturity. But I think it's what we learned from Joseph that regardless of our hurts, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what happens to us, this recognition that God is not done yet. Today is not the last day. Tomorrow's another day. My life is not ended yet. There's going to be another chapter recognizing that tomorrow's another day, recognizing that there are still things that God wants to do, gives us hope, gives us a sense of expectation that we can do what he's called us to do. We can trust God to help us navigate through the detours and pitfalls of life as we pursue the destiny God has for us. I love the way the message as written, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> It says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, from Joseph, we, we see so many things that he encountered that I, I, can, I can only imagine the many days he went through feeling discouraged. And uh, although the, the, the Bible doesn't talk about it, if, if he's human, he had, I have no doubt that he had days of great and significant discouragement. But Father, because of the way that you worked in his life over time, we can see that that discouragement never lasted. That in the midst of his pain, in the midst of the confusion, the uncertainty, in the midst of all the turmoil in his life, somehow in the middle of that, he found you and was able to put his faith and hope and trust in you. And because of that, he didn't become, his anger and frustration didn't become hurt and bitterness and it didn't destroy his life. So Father, for any who might be here this morning and just really struggling with a past event that to this day does somewhat define how they live and 
what they do. Father, I pray that you would give them freedom from that once and for all, that you would break that that binds them. Lord, heal them, I pray, that they would be able to let it go and to trust you. Lord, even if they don't see, Lord, we, we don't know what tomorrow might bring. We don't know what our destiny may hold, but Father, may we release that pain with the hope and expectation that we will see it here soon. So Father, for those who might be struggling and just really wrestling with past hurts, past pains, may they be able to release it even if they don't know what tomorrow holds, just for the simple fact that they they are going to put their hope and trust in you. Father, it's only in that that we can find freedom. It's only in that when we release these to you. It's only when we do that, Father, that we can have hope for tomorrow. And so, Father, that's our desire, to be a people of hope. We put our hope and faith and trust in you. So, Lord, again, we just thank you for all these things, for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're struggling with this idea of being able to trust, maybe you've been hurt, uh, and trusting God is something that's just really difficult. Um, or maybe there is a past, something in your past that's been really painful and hurtful and you're having trouble to letting it go and moving on and it still controls you to some degree. And, or maybe you just haven't been able to forgive someone who's caused that. Um, my prayer is that you would be able to come to that place where you could release that to the Lord. I'd love the chance to pray with you. If you have something you would like to pray about, it, just I'll be up here up front and we be very happy to pray with you afterwards. Uh, so please do that. Uh, but we see from Joseph more than anything else was his ability to let go of the hurts and pains of today so they didn't influence and affect his tomorrows. May that be true for all of us. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.